you will please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8. If you'll hold your place there, if you, if you need a, a, a Bible, there should be some in the chairs in front of you. We're on page 179. And also find Romans 12. Romans 12. We'll flip to that briefly. But Joshua chapter 8, we have a long, long passage here in our study of Joshua. This is God's word to us this morning. And Yahweh said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they shall come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For Yahweh your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of Yahweh. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night that night among the people. Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. And so they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city, and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent the night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. And he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then Yahweh said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in ambush rose quickly out of their place, and as soon as they had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. They hurried to set the city on fire. And then the men of Ai looked back, and behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven. 
And they had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was not one left that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they had pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he had stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of Yahweh that he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded... And they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones which stands there to this day. At that time, Joshua built an altar to Yahweh, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered it on, on it burnt offerings to Yahweh and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born, and their, with their elders and officers, their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark of the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of Yahweh. Half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, had commanded them at first to bless the people of Israel. And afterwards, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel. And the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. I'm tired of reading that. Imagine Joshua reading all the book of the law. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your holy, inerrant word. And what a blessing it is that we can read it this day. And may we too be like the people of Israel as we read this holy word, your will for our lives. Lord, may it change us. May it help us to follow you and love you and serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have your place there in Romans 12, you will read these first two verses where the Apostle Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Those were the words 
that the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Roman church that uh, after 11 chapters, chock full of the gospel of grace, Paul's fullest and most incomparable glorious gospel that he was teaching the Roman church, he then goes on from those first 11 chapters, transitions in chapter 12 to application in light of the gospel. In light of all that God has done for you in Christ Jesus, this is now how you live. This is how you are to apply the gospel to the Christian life. And in applying the gospel, he says here, you are now to live sacrificially. This is how you worship God properly. This is how you are to renew your mind in such a way that your lives are conformed to the calling that God has given you. And in view of God's mercy, he says, because of the gospel of grace, because of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, we are to respond in him in worship and in righteous living. That, in a sense, is what is going on here in Joshua chapter 8. In view of God's mercy, Because he has spared the whole nation from his wrath, as we read last time in Joshua chapter 7, they are now called to live righteously and blameless before him. And so after Israel had defeated the town of Ai, the city of Ai, we see starting in verse 30 30 of Joshua chapter 8, that what they did is they paused to worship. They pause for covenant renewal because covenant renewal is essential to the Christian life. It is essential to following Yahweh God, and that is our calling as well. In light of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, because of all the blessings that we have because of what God has done for us in Christ, we are called to live for him. And it is good, and it is right, and it is proper every day, and and certainly every week as we gather together corporately as his saints, for us to stop, for us to pause, for us to reflect and worship God for who he is and what he has done for us. If you remember from last week, Joshua chapter 7 and now Joshua chapter 8, They are in stark contrast to each other. In chapter 7, we observe the the consequences of disobedience and the ensuing result of those who wish to go their own way and not follow the Lord, as we see Achan was judged. And in chapter 8, though, we see the exact opposite, where we find the people who are willing, who are ready to obey the Lord and follow his every command and the ensuing victory that took place. Because in chapter 7... Ai whooped Israel. That's what we say here in the South, whooped them. But we see a very different result in chapter 8. In chapter 7, immediately after Achan and all that belonged to him were stoned, and Israel was purified of the lawbreaker, Yahweh now comes to Joshua and gives him yet again that wonderful, assuring, and blessed words where he says, do not Do not be dismayed. Why do you think that Joshua and all the people of Israel needed to hear that assuring word 
Why did Yahweh God say this to Joshua and Israel? Why did he tell them not to fear? Because I would imagine after what happened to Achan and his family and all that belonged to him, they were scared to death. They were terrified that what had happened to Achan and his family was going to happen to them. They had just witnessed and even participated in one of the most severe and serious acts for punishment of sin when Achan and his whole family was stoned. And so a holy fear had to have passed over all of Israel as they began to think about this event and to begin to think about the consequences of disobedience. Maybe they were thinking that Yahweh God was now going to judge them and was going to send Ai after them to defeat them and to wipe them out. Maybe judgment for sin was about to come over all of Israel because of their sin and disobedience. But again, these sweet words of assurance come to God's people when he tells them that he is going to now give Ai over to them just as he did Jericho. You remember the walls of Jericho came tumbling down and there was a great victory. Yahweh God had fought for his people and he said, now I'm about to do that again. And so Yahweh God, the mighty warrior, he gives Joshua very specific battle tactics. He tells them to lie in ambush behind Ai to overtake the city and all their fighting men. And so Israel conquered the city and they destroyed all the inhabitants because Yahweh God gave them the victory. It was his battle plan. It was him going to fight for his people. And at the end of this victory, we have another important instance of Israel stopping, pausing, reflecting, worshiping Yahweh their God. They did not have a victory parade around the land of Canaan. They did not have a, a great feast congratulating themselves on their brilliant warfare. What did they do? They worshipped. And their worship centered around two acts of covenant renewal. And these two acts of covenant re renewal were very specific commands that Moses had given to them back in Deuteronomy that the, this is exactly what they were to do once they entered the promised land and Yahweh God gave them the, the victory. Again, we read about such place earlier in Deuteronomy 31 that Pastor Russ read. And in, that, and in those commands, in those instructions that Moses gave, what he was showing them is that this is what covenant renewal looks like. This is what... Honoring the Lord your God and following Him looks like. One pastor describes covenant renewal this way. He says, covenant renewal is an intentional return to the fundamentals of our relationship with God so that we might remember His commands to us in Christ and so that we might reaffirm our commitment to Him. And so covenant renewal is an important way that we learn to fear the Lord our God, and to be careful to do all that he had commanded them to do. Covenant renewal was the way in which the Israelites reminded themselves of what they were fighting for, 
who it is they worshipped. And that is the God who created them. And so they're, 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 these acts of covenant renewal that they participated in were the sacrifices described in the book of the law and the reading of the book of the law. And so let's look at these two covenant renewal ceremonies, what they meant for Israel and what they mean for us today, and that's worship through sacrifice, and secondly, worship by the book. First, worship through sacrifice, we see there in verses 30 through 32 of what they did after the victory. Joshua built an altar to Yahweh to offer sacrifices as the law of Moses required. And there were two types of sacrifices that they offered on the altar, burnt offerings and peace offerings. And so for the burnt offering, we read that an animal without blemish was chosen, the animal was slain, and the blood was used, symbolizing atonement was made, the people's sin was covered. The blood sacrifice of that animal served as a substitute for the people. All of the meat of that burnt offering was to be consumed by the flames so that there was not any of it left. It was a complete dedication to God. But then there was also a peace offering, and this was a little different because an animal was also sacrificed, but part of that meat from that animal would be used to prepare a meal as a means of giving thanks and praise to Yahweh God for His goodness. So when we think about these Old Testament animal sacrifices, we think about this scene of all Israel gathering together to offer these sacrifices in response to the victory that God had given them. We see that these animal sacrifices in the Old Testament are there to serve as a type right? They're calls to help us to look forward. They're to cause us to look ahead to Jesus Christ, who is the better and the final sacrifice. As we studied last week, Jesus's sacrifice was the propitiation for our sins. He bore the wrath reserved for us. And so God's love was magnified by sending his one and only son as the Lamb of God to be sacrificed for us. And here, in these sacrifices that were offered after the victory, they serve as a covenant renewal ceremony for Israel. And it began at the altar to remind them of who their God is and what He has done for them. But today, for us, the church, our worship does not begin at an altar where we must sacrifice animals our worship begins at the cross where christ our passover lamb was sacrificed for us where he bore our sins and was crucified for them and so today we do not bring the blood of bulls and goats to church east sunday to make a sacrifice of atonement I mean, praise the Lord. Did you know you could thank God for that this morning? I mean, that would be a different type of Sunday, wouldn't it? (laughs) But we have a feast in front of us. We have a feast that we will partake of even this very day. 
a feast that serves as a covenant renewal, a reminder of the great love and mercy that God has shown to us in Christ. And so this meal before us is a wonderful reminder of the covenant of grace. It's a wonderful reminder where God says, I am your God and you are my people. I have sent my son as the once and for all and final sacrifice for you. And each time we take the supper, it's a means that God used to help us renew our commitment to him, to help us remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to help us remember that God loves us so much that he sent his son to be a sacrifice of atonement for all who believe in his name. Israel stopped, paused, reflected, and worshipped God because of what he had done for them, because of the victory. Each Sunday we come, we stop, we pause, we reflect, we remember, we worship what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. But the second act of worship in this covenant renewal that took place here at the end of this victory, was that they worshiped God according to the book. That book being the law of Moses, or the book of the law. Or we might simply say this was their Bible. They did some public Bible reading here after the victory. Every time there has been a great revival or a great renewal in the church, it has been because of a robust and renewed commitment to the teaching and preaching of God's Word. You can go and read all about it. <laughs> Every time that the Lord God has done something awesome in this world, and especially in His church, in church history, it's been because of a robust commitment to the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. It's not rocket science or rocket surgery. Y'all didn't laugh. It's that hour of loss of sleep. Do you want to be more godly? Do we want to be a growing church? Do we want to see our city reached for the gospel? Do we want to see our children grow to love the Lord their God and serve him with all their might? Then we must always return to the word of God. Because it's the word of God that promises to bless. It's the word of God that promises to renew and convert the soul. The Bible is the tool that the Holy Spirit promises to use to transform and renew our minds. This act of covenant renewal served as a reminder to all Israel and to all of God's people for all of time that the word of God is to be at the very center of our worship. The first and most important priority must be to the scriptures and the truths that is contained therein. One of my Old Testament professors, Dr. Kerr, had said the word of God is to be the lifeblood of the people of God. The word of God is to be the lifeblood of the people of God. The Bible shows us the very good and precious promises of God, but it also shows us how to live in covenant faithfulness to the one who created us, 
and has called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That is why Israel stopped and paused and reflected and read the words of the book of the law so that they may learn to love the Lord their God and serve him. What an important reminder for us today that we need the word of God. That we need to be committed to the Bible and the truths therein so that we may learn to fear the Lord our God and to walk with him all of our days. Because what happens to a church when it forsakes the Bible? What happens? What happens is is that the church, when it begins to believe and act as if the Bible is irrelevant or is only matters in a couple of things and not everything, what happens is you get great confusion about what marriage is. What happens is you get a lot of confusion about gender, gender identity. What happens is you get confused on what the sanctity of life means. What happens is you get a worldview in the church that looks very much like the world and not the one that God has planned for his people. We must be people of the book. and We must worship God according to the book. J.C. Ryle once stated, The nations which enjoy the most moral light are nations in which the Bible is known. The churches in our land where there is most true religion are those in which the Bible is most studied. The godliest families are Bible-reading families. The, holy, the holiest men and women are Bible-reading people. These are simple facts that cannot be denied. These acts of covenant renewal that Israel participated in are reminders to us of the necessity and the essential place that the local church must play in our lives. Because the local church is God's plan for our spiritual growth and the maturing of his people. We need the church so that we may be renewed and encourage our calling to worship God and learn his word. It is the local church that the Lord Jesus Christ has entrusted his sacraments to, to be administered, and for the word of God to be taught and preached so that we might remember who our God is and what he has done for us. And so these two elements, sacrificial worship, Bible-centeredness, they're exactly what we need as a church so that we may glorify God and enjoy Him forever. As we think about this meal before us, Christ is not sacrificed once again. He has been sacrificed once and for all. And this meal before us reminds us of His once and for all sacrifice but there's a whole section of joshua chapter 8 that is r-rated that we did not get to this morning at the end of this battle there's a very harsh and even barbarian demonstration as the king of ai is hung from a tree 
We've already discussed about how the purpose of holy war and how, although it seems harsh and severe, is a reminder that the penalty for sin is harsh and severe because God is holy. But the king of Ai was hung on a tree for a reason. And his defeat was to demonstrate to all the land that no one and no nation can stand in the way of Yahweh God and his victory. But his demise also serves another purpose for us. And that was to demonstrate that there is a curse that awaits anyone who opposes Yahweh God. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, we find other various laws given by Moses that deal with capital punishment for various crimes committed. And in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 through 23, we read that a man who is condemned to death by being hung on a tree is cursed by God. A man who is condemned to death by being hung on a tree is cursed by God. Fast forward thousands of years later to another man who would be hung on a tree for a curse. And though he was innocent, he became the curse for us. The Apostle Paul explains this in Galatians chapter 3. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit. Through faith. Do you see the extent to which God the Father went through to demonstrate his love for his church? Last week we saw the great, God, the great love of God magnified by Jesus propitiating the wrath of God on our behalf. Today, do you see the love of God magnified as he allows his one and only son to be humiliated, to be cursed, to be nailed to a tree for you and for me? This meal reminds us that Christ redeemed us from, from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. So thanks be to God for his blessing that he has poured out on us through his one and only son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, your gospel is everywhere. And here we see it. In Joshua chapter 8, through events and through circumstances that we least expect, all of Scripture is pointing us to you, Lord Jesus. It's all about you. We thank you that you are cursed for us. We thank you that you were sacrificed for us. We thank you for your word that reminds us of 
us of these things that constantly calls us back to looking to you, the one who made us, the one who created us, the one who redeemed us. Lord, help us. Help us to be a faithful people, to fear you, to love you, to serve you all of our days. We pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.